headphones are broken today. Hopefully there won't be any audio bleed out, but you know like the foamy bit, the foamy bit on the bit that goes on your ear. The bit that makes it comfy and not just like hell to wear. Yeah. Unless unless you're a, a glasses wearer, in which case all headphones suck. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean I've got the glasses on as well, so it it's never great at the best of times, but now now it is extra bad for me. Um <laughs> Because the foamy ear cut bit just sloughed off for no reason. For literally no reason. And with other headphones, I've always been able to just... Normally, it's like it'll pop off from somewhere and you can, like, jam it back in, even if it ends up a bit loose. You can just sort of pop it back on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think these were, like, directly glued on and maybe the glue just dried out or lost its stick. (laughs) Can can you glue them back or anything? Uh, I haven't got any glue here at the moment. Um, I've, I've gone ahead and just ordered some new ones because... These are busted, I think, now. But what I've done is, because of the fact that it was just glued on, um, without them, it is it is just the, you know... You know, them little circles where the sound comes out? The mouths. The headphones' yeah. mouths. <laughs> it's a sound circle on your ear. <laughs> yep. It's many gaping sound moors. Um, would just be crammed directly onto my ear and probably bleed out everywhere sound-wise. So I've... Uh, I've just wrapped it all up in sellotape. So I've got a bunch of sellotape on my ear, which is blocking most of the audio and makes me feel like my... It makes me feel like something is stuffed in my ear. It's it's thrown my equilibrium off because the ears help us balance and everything in real life. I don't know why I said in real life, like it's everything else is a simulation, but you know what I mean. Um, so it's weird because on one side... Lovely, comforting suction cup between my ears and the mouths. On the other, set a wall of sellotape that makes me feel like I've lost half of my face. <laughs> it's very distressing for me this morning, folks. I, I can imagine so. This does not sound like a fun time. On, si- on one side, you're getting kissed by lovely, voluptuous lips, and on the other side, you're just getting teeth rammed into your ear. Exactly, which happens to me on a nightly basis anyway, so I do not need it when I podcast. <laughs> but I did meet Mick uh... Foley this weekend. Round of applause for me. Because I achieved that. I accomplished that. Oh, yes, I saw that. How, how, how'd that go? T- tell me about this this scenario. Oh, he's lovely. He's really nice. He, he either genuinely found stir, uh, Stardust amusing or he's the most polite man in the world. But he, <laughs> I, I showed him a like me all gimmicked up in the Stardust stuff and he, he did a lot of laughing. Aww. And I told him to keep an eye out for me because I'm the second coming of Mabel and when he sees a big fat guy in spandex in the wrestling, that will be me. Um, he's, he's, you hear stories about how nice he is and he is really nice. If you don't know him, he was a, a WWE guy um, predominantly in the, the Attitude Era. He was that guy who got thrown off that big cage by The Undertaker, thank you very much. He was the wrestle boy. He was a, he was a wrestle boy. He's a lovely wrestle boy. Wrestled as Mankind, Dude Love and Cactus Jack and as himself as Mick Foley. And I got a photo with all three of his characters on it and he signs them, He signs the photo three times in different colours for each character. Because he's a consummate professional. <laughs> One lady cried. There's a lady who was in the line to meet him and she recognised me from Stardust stuff. <laughs> and I asked her if she could, rem- could recognise me again when we got closer to me. <laughs> um, she, she didn't, but, but I felt very Alan Partridge in asking. Um, but yeah, when she met him, she burst into tears when they were getting the photo of her. It was adorable. Um, so that was nice. It can be really overwhelming to meet someone whose work you admire or who, you know, you enjoyed a lot of during, like, important times in your life. Yeah. And to then have them be nice can be a lot. Yeah. I felt like a stuttering fool. I'm so rarely starstruck. Like, I've met a lot of famous people. I've met a lot of people I admire in my time. But mm. meeting him, I could barely get words out. It was weird. <laughs> that never happens to me. Yeah. That, that happened to me when I met Devin Townsend. Uh, we went up and I tripped over, first I tripped over the step and like nearly went nice flying start. into the DJ booth where he was doing his <laughs> DJing. And uh, yes, Devin DJs after his gig sometimes. And uh, then just couldn't speak. And then Rachel goes to him. He, he was saying, said something about how touring was tiring. And Rachel, Rachel goes like an Irish mammy goes, oh, you'll have a fine sleep now when you go home. So to Canada, <laughs> <laughs> a fine uh. long sleep. <laughs> my 
my my my starstruck moment was still that that time when I got to meet the Gerard Way from the My Chemical Romance. And you did, yes. I I forgot how to fucking walk. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to play the tambourine and I couldn't walk unless it was in time with the tambourine because my brain couldn't handle that many things. It was That's a lot. Right. Uh, I met Rolf Harris when I was a kid. That used to be a charming story. Yeah, that's less of a charming story these days. It's not great now. I met him at London Zoo, and he said my cartoons were great stuff. Have you ever had a fan meet you, and they've been completely, like, nervous to, like... I remember meeting one poor girl, and she was literally shaking doing the photo. <laughs> and oh, it's yeah. not, not in the internet way of, like, I'm literally shaking, but she actually was... By the literal definition of the word literally, shaking. <laughs> I, I, what, I'll, what I'll sometimes get is people who will message me and go, I saw you and I was too nervous to say yes. hello. I've had that. Yes. That's, that's one that always gets me. And I'll message them back and go, if you do in future, just say hi. I'm, yeah. I'm not that scary. I'm a human. I'm happy to say hello. L- likewise. Yeah, I've had yeah. nerves and, and stuff. If you, if you see me out in the street or in a pub, always feel free to wave and say hello or just, you know, I had someone run away and hide from me once. Oh yeah? yeah. Was it super seducer guy? They yeah, they they I think they said hello. They they got so overcome they ran away and hid behind a pillar and then peeked out and looked at me. <laughs> that was definitely super seducer guy, I'm telling you. No doubt, no doubt. Um but yeah, I've had some people like end up like collapsing into giggling fits and things. It's yeah. it's strange because like I know who I am yeah. and I know I'm pathetic. I know I'm totally pathetic, so so it's so exactly. weird when people do that because I'm like, there is, oh, you are wasting your energy being nervous around this waste of sh- sh- this piece yeah. of shit. Like, why, why are you nervous around me? All I do is go, ha, butts are quite funny. Like, that's my whole <laughs> shtick. Like, what's that to be nervous about? It's an innate thing in us, and I think even with... um. Even if you get like a reply from a game developer you admire, it can be, there's just, we have this innate thing that people, when people make something we like, we get excited to be in, in their space or whatever. Sure, yeah, yeah. And it's sometimes, it's sometimes a lot to go like, oh, you're not just like a monolithic content production thing, you are a human that exists. And that, that can be weird sometimes going like, Mm. oh, you... You are not just the means through which content occurs. You you are a physical person. Hello. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I met at Mississippi Comic Con. That was this weekend. I went to the Mississippi Ooh. Comic Con. Um, I didn't spend as long there as I usually do. Um, I was very tired and I've I've injured my foot a little bit, um, so I, I wasn't all up for. I, I literally turned up to meet Mick Foley and uh, was going to meet Ric Flair as well because he was there, uh, but. Uh, he left early, and apparently to try and get to see him, like there was just a swarm. You could hear it going on because you could hear him and fans like all throughout the con just going woo, <laughs> like what he does on the television for all the lovely children to enjoy all up. But um, yeah, I didn't get to see him. I did walk past Ed Furlong from Terminator Two. Oh, nice! And more importantly, from the Crow Wicked Prayer. <laughs> He was my he was my idol when I was like fifteen years old, fourteen years old. <laughs> I couldn't go up and say hello because I knew I'd come off as insulting, and I didn't want to. Not only was he in uh, Terminator Two, but he was in the Aerosmith video as well he for was. "Living on Living on the Edge." Mm-hmm. That's a great song and great video, by the way. Go check it out. You get to see Steven Tyler like naked, except for a hand over his like Willie and ball sack. Lovely. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. If I'd have gotten what I was going to get, I, I would have gone up to, to meet him and got his autograph because I was going to get his album. Yeah. I wanted to get his, his LP that he released in Japan and get him to sign that. Yeah. But I, I, there would have been literally no point otherwise because I'd have gone up to him and said, right, I love you in Crow Wicked Prayer, Pet Cemetery 2 and Brain Scan. And I would not be lying but it would sound like a lie. Did I tell you our weird story last year about uh, our famous people story when we met the band Primal Scream at a wedding? I think maybe you did, but I'm all in favour of hearing it again. We, we were at a wedding of a friend and Primal Scream were staying in the same hotel and uh, they were in the lobby after doing a gig. So um, the girls were like, oh, we, you know, we, do you want to go up? And they wouldn't go up. So Mr. Fucking... Doesn't give a shit here. He went, right, let's go up to them. Hey, lads, we're having a wedding inside and it's doing Irish music and stuff. Do you want to come in? Because this was at like half two in the morning when the wedding 
had gotten to the Irish wedding phase of where uh, basically there's people take turns in singing old Irish rebel songs and stuff. Mm -hmm. So Primal Scream came into the wedding with us, had pints (laughs) and like even joined in with some of the songs. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, it was fantastic. lovely. So fucking random, like. That's, that's, that's a proper good story of, like, you, you didn't just bump into them. It's like, oh, no, you got a story. Yeah, they were lo- very, very lovely lads now, I have to say. Yeah. It's always nice when you meet people like that. Like, I, uh, th- there's a band I really like called uh, Rise Against that they were really lovely the one time I got to meet them. I, I was one of those people as a teen who used to, like, turn up, like... T- 10 hours early to a concert to make sure I could get front and centre on the barrier. Yeah. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning and they just came out the tour bus and were like, hey, are you here for the thing tonight? I was like, yes, hello. And they sat down and had a chat. They were super lovely. Artists absolutely recognise those people who come to like every gig. Yeah. Like if you even think about how many uh, Twitter avatars you get to know over a period of time. That's yeah. true. And you, 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 you get this little click in your brain that goes, oh, that's a nice person who tweets at me sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah there are a few people who like reply to my things and I recognise the, the names and the, yeah, the avatars and stuff. So like when you're at a gig and you're playing and you see that those same f- like faces in the front row, particularly when you're like a mid-tier band yeah. or, or even oh, yeah, small, yeah. you know, you will, you definitely do recognise those people. And if I think if you have a chance to ever say hi to them, you will. You know, yeah. yeah. This this has been just a nice sharing positivity time. This, yeah. This has made me feel very good, this this start to the episode. Yeah. It's nice, isn't it? It's nice to feel good. Yeah. Do you wanna do you wanna before we move on, do you wanna hear a terrible story about me in my band days? Sure. Sure. <laughs> this was now now it's probably I've talked about this before, how um <clears throat> I I had what we called a a troubled childhood. And uh, Ah, was a very angry young man and only really got my anger issues sorted out in the last few years. So we're going back to like 1997 now. So I was a 17 year old teenager in a band in my first band and a really angry young man due to various things. And (laughs) a venue owner was refusing to pay us and we had been promised 200 quid. So... Uh, apparently this is and this uh, I had forgotten this story and the uh, my friend who was the guitarist in the band at the time reminded me of this story on my stag party last month he said I got up on the stage started calling your man a stupid fucking cunt uh, still got refused to the, the money so I went into the bathroom ripped the sink out of the wall flooded the fucking pub and walked out wow <laughs> <laughs> You're like a one man the who. In in my mind, that would cost them the same amount of money to clean up as they didn't pay us. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'd say you sort of won that exchange. Yeah, but I've never got uh done for it, so that's good. Yeah. I hope he's not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that old saying goes, he who doesn't get done wins. <laughs> I mean, it's now what, 22 years later, so... I think statute of limitations are all right there. If they try and do you for it, just say I'll pay for the repairs when you pay me what you owed me for that gig, plus X number of years of interest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Factor in interest, absolutely. This is a... I mean, ultimately, this will be a, a, a civil case. Yeah. He can't prove nothing. If, if they try and do you for this, I'll stand up and say, I am the Spartacus what ripped out the sink. If we all say we done it. <laughs> yeah, except Gav did it first and we didn't immediately say we done it. Uh, except I did, I done it though. I mean, I done it, Defo's done it. I done it, it. I done yeah. it, I done it. There, there isn't a sink I haven't ripped out. Yeah, I ripped out <laughs> every sink. Yeah. Even the kitchen one. There's even proof of it. Dr. Disrespect has a whole ton of videos of me ripping out sinks in public bathrooms. <laughs> I bet you didn't know he was filming them, though. Oh, no. You're, you're going to want to claim royalties on those. <sighs> anyway, there's the story. <laughs> it's a great story. It's just, it amuses me because I, I, I sometimes get messages from people who are like, you're so mellow and zen. I'm like, oh, um. <laughs> that That took a lot of work. And it's yeah. it's always there bubbling beneath the surface. Go go listen to my song, Ode to Fury. That's all about that. <laughs> Funnily enough, when I was a kid, I was um, I would get praise for my patience, my, my oh, yeah. even temper. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was a big problem because of how bad my sort of anger stuff is now. <laughs> I think everything I was getting praise for was just like 
decades of build-up. Just, <laughs> just a valve that wasn't getting any release until one day it exploded for literally ever. Yeah, yeah. You have entered the eternity of fury. Mm-hmm. And now I shall sing the song that ends the earth. Okay, what do we want to talk about today now that we've done our lovely famous stories and our lovely sync-ripping stories? Your vi- your video's doing good. Yeah, it's doing okay. It's it's not exactly where I'd like it to be, um, but it's not like the Rockstar thing. Definitely not as disappointing as that. It's done nearly half a million in a day, hasn't it? It's not, not too bad, not too bad. It's it's a real damn good video if people haven't seen it yet. They should go watch your video. It is a very good video. Certainly. It is called the... Let me remember what my own videos are called. <laughs> the addictive cost of predatory monetization. Yeah, the addictive cost of predatory video game monetization. It is on the Jim Sterling YouTube channel now. If you haven't watched it, please do. And if you do like it, if you find it compelling, like might be the wrong word considering the tone and the subject matter. If you if you think it's valuable and good and important, which it is. Yes, please please do share it along because it was a this was a long. I mean, considering from the first time I spoke to someone about this, years in the making. I did a big tweet mm-hmm. about it. I, I I thought it was very good. Uh, you did, thank you. Yeah, I, I retweeted it. I didn't make a tweet about it yet, but... Oh, no, it's I all will. good. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. And thank you everyone who has watched it, shared it, um, talked about it. Um, I've never... I don't think I've ever actually stayed at the top of Reddit games. They don't even normally let me on there. But uh, <laughs> that was that was heartening. It was heartening to see people responding to it. And there were some arseholes, sure, but most people like looked at it and, and, and it achieved one of the goals I hoped it would. Well, it, it achieved several of the goals I hoped it would. One being that it explained to people why I'm so angry about this and why I care so much and why I've never stopped talking about microtransactions for years um, and, and why I'm, you know, almost to the point of parody and I have been parodied for it in the past talking about monetization and loot boxes. Um, and it is, there is parody potential. Like people that make fun of me for it, often in good humor, I find nothing wrong with it. Like just make, oh, there he goes banging on about microtransactions again. But hopefully this sort of says, yes, it is sort of, you know, comical in a way that I bang that drum so frequently, but hopefully this video explains why and why I'm so angry and why I'm not just, why it's not like outrage, rah, 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 hate, click on me for rage views, anger. It's literal, like, no, I'm I'm very calmly furious about it. Uh, so hopefully that, that come across. I think the video uh, articulated very well something that a lot of us have been feeling but haven't quite found the right words for. Yes, I, I, I hope so. I, I, I got some comments t- uh, to that effect. I've got a lot of a lot of emails in response from people giving more testimonials of their own experiences to people just uh, thanking me. I've, um, I've not gotten through them all yet. Um, correspondence is one of the things that sort of trips me up with my own sort of um, anxiety stuff. Um, but I do intend to go through them and um, ask people who have sent them in whether, you know, they would permit me to use their stories um, and, and share them. Because uh, I think maybe a follow-up written article with more testimonials because I've, I've just got so many. And and they should they should be shared if, if the people who share, shared them with me are willing for that to happen. Um, because there is a human side here. There's a human cost. I was actually going to call my video the human cost of etc before Jason bloody scryer got in first with his call of duty one although to be fair that was an important story um yet another um discussion about uh, abusive work practices in this industry and people killing themselves to get games made um all of this combined you know what i've done what what other games media have done really does smell of something of a reckoning it's not going to be the downfall of video games or the AAA video game industry or anything like that, but it feels like some recriminations are happening and, and they've needed to happen for a long time. And, and hopefully this, is, this, this extra attention can spark some atmospheric shifts in the industry where they realise that even if they manage to get away with everything they've done so far, maybe they won't be able to get away with it in future. So fingers crossed, abuse both on in on uh, against workers and customers can can you know ba- 
reduced at the very least, I would hope. That video of the conference, I'd never seen that, and that was absolutely shocking. It's yeah, a lot of people hadn't. The level of unashamed sleaze was just mm-hmm. sh- And I bet that guy sleeps like a fucking baby at night. I bet he goes to bed in his big bed, sucking his thumb, going, ah, that was a great work day today. No doubt. I mean, you just have to watch the conference and, sh- and see, like, there's no shame at all. I don't I don't feel hyperbolic when I say that was actually so t- sociopathic, the way he was talking. I mean, he... he it's he came across like a as, as I said in the video like a stereotypical eighties cartoon drug dealer. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a talk if again if you've not seen the video yet it's a talk called Let's Go Whaling. I included many excerpts of it in in my Jimquisition, uh, and it's a, a guy in the mobile market which of course has spearheaded a lot of the monetization tactics that the uh, mainstream game industry now employs, and he went through everything, all of the tricks and tips, and and you know it's going to be a hell of a talk when it starts with. We'll leave morality out of it and maybe come back to that later. And he never does. Um, so, you know, when you have to check morality at the door in order to learn these tricks, you know you're in for something. Before the video went out, I panicked and, like, I need to double check and make sure this isn't a parody. It's that extreme at times. Yeah. Um, and it covers everything. You know, he talks about how... Um, how to trick people into thinking a deal is good by offering them a higher price first. Some of it's very basic behavioral psychology, but it goes it, it goes so deep into um, getting people basically addicted to their games. Um, you know, there, there's this technique they call the hook habit hobby technique, where you hook them in, you reel them in with something, with a an icebreaker deal, uh, an interesting um, in-app purchase or whatever. Uh, get them used to that uh, via sort of you know repetitive behavior so that they develop a habit and then they start to think that that their habit has become a hobby uh, and it's kind of a twisted thing of like let's get them let's make them form a habit and then make them think it's a hobby like it's it's so fucked up um, but but what is so and I almost owe the man a debt because it's so comprehensively in favour of the things I've been arguing. Um, and when I say that, I mean, obviously, the things he's talking are not in favour with my of my goals, but every argument he makes proves claims I've been making, demonstrates arguments I've been making, right down to the it's just cosmetic thing, where a lot of people tell me that they're fine with cosmetic microtransactions, uh, even if they're in loot boxes, because it's just cosmetic. But then you look at Fortnite and you look at the kids being bullied in schools for having default skins and not paying microtransactions, not paying for V-Bucks and getting skins to the point where a new insult in schools is default. And in and again, where I almost owe the this Torolf Jernstrom guy a, a debt is just in case anyone was thinking, well, the game industry can't be blamed for that. There he is in the talk saying... We must make it socially acceptable when you play this game. The socially acceptable way of playing this game should be spending money. Never tell them that the majority of people don't do it. Make them think that in order to be socially accepted in this game, Mm. you have to spend money on the purchases. So right there, the whole idea of kids being bullied for having default skins ties into what what fucking CEOs are telling game developers to do. Oh, they, they, they love, they probably love knowing that. No doubt. I mean, they can wring their hands in public all day long, but at the end of the day, that's what's making them money, is kids being pressured to beg their parents for money to buy skins because the other kids won't play with them. I mean, that's fucked up. Yeah. And... And, and again, like, he covers everything, right down to, you know, I've had people, um, especially like pundits and, and spokespeople who, would, who go to bat for the game industry's excesses, tell me, well, I support microtransactions because uh, they support game developers and they keep studios in business, which has always been a line of bullshit considering regardless of, a financial, of the financial success of a company, re- layoffs happen as part of the course. It's, it's the planned thing to do is to just pick people up and put them down like they're toys in this industry. Hmm. But on top of that, good old, and in quotes, good old Tora Fjernström uh, in his fucking talk says, tell people that they're good citizens. He uses that word like he's in fucking 1984. Tell people they're good citizens for spending money on your game. Tell them things like, 
it helps support developers. The reasons don't even have to be good. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. The only thing I wanted to add to this discussion, I've said this on the podcast before, um, as someone with addictive tendencies, like, I love Overwatch mechanically as a game. I think it's great. I don't fucking play Overwatch because I know that, like, the the way that it handles loot boxes is really bad for me and would, would hook me into spending beyond my means, and I know it's a problem. I am the person that spent like 400 plus hours collecting every single Pokemon in, in Let's Go Pikachu. If I let that obsessive bit of my brain that has to have complete collections and can't have anything be missing, anywhere near fucking loot boxes, my, my finances would be ruined. Mm -hmm. Because my, my brain is predisposed to go... I have part of the thing. Uh, I need the whole thing, though. Absolutely. Because that is what my brain does, because autism. Overwatch, as an example, like, it's not even a case of don't buy, the, like, don't buy the paid loot boxes and it won't be a problem. It's they give you free loot boxes every now and then to get you invested in that economy so that you'll start buying. Yep, hook habit hobby. Like, I cannot let myself open a free loot box because I know that is the first step to me spending all my money on paid loot boxes yeah. because that is how my brain works. Mm. And like, I am the person that these companies, you know, want to hook. They, they, they are aware that my brain does this and they want to go, can we siphon all your money? This is one thing I've tried to argue before. Like, I've, I've had arguments with guys like Jason Scry, who I do want to emphasise, I think, is an excellent reporter. But when it comes to certain um, editorial arguments he and I differ tremendously. But I've had arguments with him before, like he's against uh, terms like predatory and exploitative being thrown around um, in, in many cases. And I'm like, and, and, and he echoes what I've been told my whole career from people who are like, well, they're not exploitative. They don't affect me. And I'm like, if you don't find them exploitative, it's probably because you're not the, the, the one being targeted. They're not predatory to you because you're not the prey. Microtransactions are not designed to psychologically manipulate everyone. They don't have to. They only have to manipulate people who are going to spend massive amounts of money. That's a pretty thoughtless response, to be honest. Like, it doesn't affect me, so it doesn't exist. Is Yeah, and, and Jason Squire didn't make that argument. Um, but others have. They have given this whole, well, they don't bother me. They don't affect me. They don't negatively impact the way I play a game. Really? Good. Yeah. Fuck you for having zero ability to empathise at all. Um, hmm. So I've tried to make that clear. I've said that a few times in the Jimquisition. Like, if you don't find them predatory, it's probably because you're not the prey. Yeah. They have a they, they go after a particular type of person. I um I, as as a as a younger person, I used to be um a real addict for um buying trading cards, uh, trading card booster packs, and that was mm. where I first realized I had a problem with that. And it's like at least with something like trading cards, if you get into those economies, there is a secondhand market. You can just purchase for face value the card that you want to purchase. That, like, that's bad enough. Loot boxes are the step further where there is no option to just pay a set amount and be done with it and have the thing that you're after. You have to just keep spinning the wheel potentially forever to get that bit of your head to shut up that you haven't got the one bit of the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Like, if it wasn't for the fact that my career uh, has set me so against microtransactions, if I didn't have this job, because um, I, I even met, talked in the video a little bit about my own addiction struggles, like... I would I would be a prime target. I would be a prime target. It's only through the sheer obstinance that my job's afforded me and, and the, the insight that my job has allowed me to have in the, the workings of, of the game industry and the psychological tricks they pull that has allowed me a measure of protection. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not like I don't feel the pull. It's not like when I play something like Overwatch, I don't feel the snag. I don't feel it tugging on my sleeve saying, you know, we've given you this loot box and look, it's a load of disappointing shit. It's a few voice lines on a spray paint, but look, you could buy another one. That plays in my fucking head. And, and, and fuck the game industry for doing that to me. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, fuck it. And it pisses me off because I see it show up in, in really good games sometimes, yeah. you know, and uh, it, it, it really dilutes the, 
the ability to appreciate that game. This is why, no matter how many pe times people try and argue it with me and try and convince me to change my mind, it's why I will never change my policy of. And this is really not a large punishment for any game company. Who cares? But it seems to bother some people. But I'll never give a Game of the Year award to a game with microtransactions in it, with certainly not with loot boxes in it, but, but not microtransactions mm. either. They've got, not, they've got no place in a premium game, in a $60 game. And really, after looking at things like this Toral Fjernstrom talk and talking with um, people who, whose lives have been negatively impacted by microtransactions, I'm, I'm even becoming less understanding of free-to-play games, whereas before I always gave them mm. a bit of a free pass. Now I'm like, maybe the psychological effects here are not worth the trade-off for the game being free. Maybe that, yeah. too, is, is really too poisonous for me to in any way endorse or support. The, the one free-to-play game on mobile that I personally don't mind the monetization model in is Pokemon Go, and I've said this before. It really doesn't feel like, as, some, as someone who lives in a town with access to Pokestops nearby. I don't feel like Pokemon Go has ever pressured me for money in any way, shape or form. I will sometimes, I will occasionally chuck a bit of money at it because I'm like, I've played this game daily for coming on three years now. You've earned my money, Niantic. Well done. Have some money. But I've never felt like I have to give them any money. Warframe, I think, is another good example of. Yeah. But I've, I don't know, even they get some criticism from some of their biggest fans, so. They're like very, there's some borderline stuff in there, definitely. Tell you what I don't like is this stuff of like, and as, as much as I love uh, <clears throat> the recent Assassin's Creed games, it's this idea of time savers, that you can buy time savers. Like, that's just deliberately making the game less fun so you can sell the solution that is 100 percent. it's making the game worse so that you can sell people a way to fix it yep. and this is why the um their optional excuse can fuck off because you can't opt out of that you cannot opt out of a game being made grindier being made less fun in order for the microtransactions to look more appealing they're not optional they're never whether you buy them or not they're not optional because they impacted the way the game was designed I didn't have the option of playing uh, a Dead Space 3 that didn't completely alter the atmosphere and the combat style to support mm. uh, an economy based on weapon building, which was sort of antithetical to the actual idea of Dead Space as a series. That None of that was optional. It was crazy just how opposite that as a concept was to what made the first game great. Yeah, yeah. And I'm one of the people who is more forgiving of Dead Space 3 than others. But even so, I have to admit, because it's plain as day, it's a lesser game than its predecessors and is a completely different experience for no other reason than to support the fact that there, there's fucking wait times on building things and getting materials and, and you know, these currencies and, and building things that, that just, are, it's not what Dead Space was. And none of us can opt in or out of that. Plus, it was ridiculous. You could build a completely overpowered weapon that just completely ruined the game. <laughs> Again, yeah, yeah, just demolishes what, what, whatever, whatever shred of horror was left in it. it. It's, and then of course we get to the really obvious ones of recent years: Shadow of War and, and Battlefront Two, which both of which, and I bring it up all the time because it's still a really good example. Both of them proved that microtransactions aren't optional because once the loot boxes and shit were taken out, both games had to be severely rebalanced because without them, they were awful games. Shadow of War was such a weird game. Like, I, I never, like, have, like, come off a game and feel like, Jesus Christ, I need to wind down after that. <laughs> it, was, it was such a weird, stressful, constantly in your face, like, ultra... Like, I don't know. There was something about that game that just racked my head. I think it, was, it didn't help that the combat was so brutal. In a good way, it was brilliantly brutal, but Jesus Christ, it was so non-stop and intense all the time. It didn't let up, yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway. But anyway. So, yes, um, if, you, if you are so inclined, do, do share the video. Um, I really appreciate it because it was, it was a lot of work and, and it's, it's what I would like the series to be remembered for. Um, you know, if one day it ever ends. It's going to do well. Yeah, I think that's going to be an evergreen one for a while. Ha half a mil on the first day is good, Jim. Don't worry. 
it'll it'll keep growing that one that's the workaholism i was talking about in the video speaking a lot of that yeah the fucking putting way too much into something than than one should it's you know obviously one should care about their work but i care to a destructive degree it's one of my many vices and problems big 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 same big same Uh put too much value into my work all three of us have dealt with that one (laughs) yeah i'm much better these days i took two days off after releasing my bloodborne song nice completely completely (laughs) guilt-free i've gotten much better i i take weekends off now i just don't work on weekends and that's really nice like that's a good idea last time i was i was freelancing and on patreon I would work through weekends because what's the difference for a weekend? It's any other day. I find it really good as well to stop after like after seven, eight o'clock. I just don't do any more work then. Yeah. Unless I have a podcast, I try and end work by 6 p.m. every day. I've tried to implement a thing where if I'm off the computer, then I'm off. Yeah. I, I haven't set times, but I do have a thing of unless... There have been sometimes exceptions where something's too big not to yeah. go and tackle, but in general, once I'm off the computer, I'm off. Yeah. And I will do other things. If, if nothing else, I think my my last couple of years having an actual like salary job with working hours really helped me to solidify in my head. It's okay to work from home and take weekends off and that won't ruin my career. <laughs> if anything, you'll end up putting out better work, more consistent work. Mm. You know? Indeed. Yeah. I don't know if it, how much it parallels to music, but I've certainly found since I've been putting out less songs, I've been putting out better ones. Fewer, sorry, fewer, not less, fewer. Well, it's semantics. Everyone knows what you mean. Yeah, uh, still. Games, games what people have been playing. Yes. Uh, Jim, mm-hmm. how's that Sinking City going for you? <laughs> <laughs> More like the stinking shitty, am I right? Oh, sort of. Last week when you talked about it, I think your summary was, yeah, it seems interesting. Bit shit, but interesting. Yeah, so here's the thing. I don't know if either of you saw the tweet I did um, over the weekend, uh, which was titled, Screwing with the KKK while wearing an octopus. But that's something I did. Yeah. (laughs) So it is the worst game I've ever liked. With a question mark after the liked, I haven't stopped playing it. I was playing it yesterday, the day before yesterday, the day before that, the day before that, the day before that. Basically, since the last time we talked to now, and I will probably do it again later today. Yeah. I think I'm playing this one through to completion, and (laughs) that includes all the side cases as well. Um, In in fact, it even includes the DLC case, because I went and got that. (laughs) That's how I got the octopus hat. I am really into it, but I cannot recommend it to anyone. I... I, I love, I kind of secretly love when a game is this bad, yet so somehow great. Yeah, it's it's an experience. So it's, obviously I'm way deeper into it now than I was when we started, when I just did the starting area. I mean, it's full on Lovecraft. It goes into, like, really deep into the lore. Like, you know, the EOD turn up, various deities are mentioned, um... That it, it talks a lot about sort of Innsmouth culture and all sorts of stuff. Uh, the lore is really nicely done. All of the, the notes and files you find with backstory are beautifully written in places. Uh, the dialogue is sometimes good, sometimes not. The glitches are unbelievable. They're all over the place. I've got footage of this. I've not tweeted this one out yet, but I killed a monster. <laughs> I killed a monster yesterday. And every time I press the button to bring up the weapon wheel, it it made the corpse jump. I've never seen that. Ah. I've never seen ragdoll physics pulled around like a puppet by the weapon you are. <laughs> ah. now, that, now that is an auto-aim. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every time I pressed it, the body sort of lifted. And then I let go and the body dropped. Lifted, drop, lifted, drop. And after corpses have been around for a while in this game, they sort of melt into this black oozing puddle to disappear. As it was melting, I did it again, and it set the corpse like 30 foot in the air. <laughs> And then it landed on the floor and just completely disappeared. This sounds like if you don't take it too seriously, this sounds like an amazing game. If you're willing to just go, it's broken, let's have fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to deal with bullshit. Like, it's there's some design bullshit as well, because it's one of these games that, quote unquote, doesn't hold your hand. But it 
it, it treads that thin line between not holding one's hand and being obtuse and time-wasting. Um, for example, nothing's really marked on the map, and there aren't door numbers or anything, because in the town of Oakmont, people know where they live, and they don't care about newcomers' convenience. They don't care about the players' convenience either. So... Every time you, you go into a case and try and like, like find the next place to go, you'll pick up evidence on a crime scene or whatever and get loads of documents. And in the documents, there will be addresses that are sort of, oh, it's in this building on the corner of Cthulhu Lane and Dagon Drive. And then you go into the map and then you have to look for the roads and then place a marker yourself manually and then go there and find the right building, which is interesting. Don't get me wrong. It's really interesting. About five hours into the game, it's less interesting and more of an annoyance. More of a, God, can you just, just flag it? <laughs> I know it's holding my hand, but it would also save me so much time. Um, and yet, where I'm so intolerant of games that waste my time, really intolerant, for some reason I am, and that's the word, I'm tolerating. I'm not accepting it and I don't like it, but something about The Sinking City is letting me tolerate endless bullshit constant bullshit because i guess i'm into the story the combat's crap the physics are rubbish the visuals are awful i spoke to one character and halfway through the dialogue her skirt disappeared inside herself and then she was just stood there in her underwear with half of her ass missing and yet i cannot I mean, it is like cthulhu himself designed the game <laughs> And yeah, I cannot recommend. I cannot recommend it. But but you still love it. You just can't let go. Yeah, I'm. I am not having a bad time. It's a sticky flood. It's a, a sticky, oozy flood that you're mired in. Yeah, it's. There's something about it, and and some people have said like, is this the new Deadly Premonition? And and I have been saying they're worlds apart. Like Deadly Premonition has something very genuinely brilliant inside it. Um, but I've got to say, like, if I were, if someone were to ask me right now, what is this generation's deadly premonition? Even though The Sinking City is nowhere near as charming, witty, funny, and, and fun. Maybe, maybe I would say yeah. that this is, maybe I, I don't, maybe the game's just defeated me. <laughs> and and I, I don't even mean it anymore. I'm just saying something to, to appease the dark gods that built it. Even even though it's Stinking Shitty, he loves to play the Sinking City. Exactly. There's your next song. Do a Sinking City song, Gav. The flood's too fun and sticky clingy to flush it down the sink in pity. <laughs> oh. It's... It's if you've got a if you I guess if you've got a unique tolerance for bullshit and an interest in bad good games, I could carefully recommend it. But I, in good faith, I could. As someone who has occasionally loved games that like I can see on paper are kind of broken and bad, I'm intrigued. Yeah. I feel like I have to give it a chance and, and doing that knowing that I might just be flushing my money and time down the toilet, I feel like I need to try. Yeah. I'll say this much, if you've heard me talk about it now on this podcast and if you've seen the Jimpressions and if you've seen me tweet about it and all of that combined still makes you think, I want to check it out, you will probably find in it what I found in it. If, if everything I've said hasn't turned you off. You you will probably, but again, I I am not recommending it. I don't want anything to come back on me. I am still here and intrigued, so that might be my weekend this weekend. <laughs> it's it, it it's quite memorable. Quite memorable, I'll say that much. Jesus. It's unique. Yes. Oh yes, most definitely. <laughs> uh, in terms of games that are less broken and unequivocally good or uh, uh, not good unequivocally weird and bad uh i went back and replayed a bunch of until dawn this week mm, really good i'm really enjoying that game I, I just wanted an excuse to go back to it because uh i think i can say this much this week at some point i'm going and playing some some man of medan with bandai namco the the new thing from the until dawn people and i just had it in me i was like i'm just really craving some until dawn that that game did not take itself seriously at all, and I love it. I, I as we said before, I call this genre David Cage, but good. Yep. I, I, I think the thing that really helps this game is that it never gets too self-serious. Like, it never thinks it's trying to tell any kind of important narrative. It's just, wouldn't it be fun to play around in a, sa a sandbox of a 
terrible action movie, like a terrible horror movie. As much as I love that game, right? The mechanic where you have to go completely still yes. can go can go fuck itself. I put my controller on the goddamn floor when that bit came up and my character still died. So I was about to bring that up. Um, I've never had a problem with that before. It's always gone okay until this playthrough. And this playthrough is the first time I've had the... I literally had the controller put down on a f- solid surface and it told me I was moving it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck okay, that. I see what people occasionally... Uh, I see what the complaint was now. Um, I still think in pract- uh, in theory, it's a really cool mechanic, the idea of you have to stay calm and not move in order to not be seen by the monster. There's so much better ways to do that. Like, they could have, like, an area of the thumbstick that you have to put it into and just hold it there. Yeah. Now, see, I, I agree with you. That would be a better execution. And I hope that for the ne- the new one that they maybe do something like that. But like, I don't think they should throw the mechanic out entirely. I lost two fucking characters because of that. <laughs> <laughs> and that pissed me off. Yeah. For a game that insists on, like, we're going to autosave after everything that happens. And we don't want you to save scum. Yeah. You know, for a, a mechanic not acting as it's supposed to to kill off a character really fucking sucks. I lost one character in in my first playthrough of Until Dawn and it was entirely my fault but I kind of did it deliberately because I was like this is really stupid where she's going is really stupid she is obviously gonna die (laughs) and and I had to keep doing it because it was so horror movie it was too horror movie death not to do (laughs) there was one of the characters I really wanted her to die so I was fine when it happened I, I I feel bad that I feel like I can maybe guess who it was yeah uh the 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 woman of, of of the pair that goes up the radio tower is it her? Um, mine was, constant... mine was towards the end in the cave. I can't remember. I can't remember the. She had the hat. This time going back through the game, I've been playing it very differently to how I normally do. I've been trying to play it essentially as the monster. I've been trying to kill them off as early as possible. I feel like how I find that interesting. Can I kill these people? <laughs> And if you want to kill them off, you can kill them off pretty easily. That was another thing that differentiated it from sort of all the boasts about games like Heavy Rain and, and mm. Beyond Two Souls, where, yeah, that, that game did not railroad you and, and safeguard the characters to the extent to where it almost broke the immersion of, of Heavy Rain. I will say, um, uh, what, what's, the, what's the new David Cage one? Um, Detroit. Oh, uh, Detroit, De- yeah. Detroit was better at that. Detroit, your characters could legitimately die off. Uh, like, I've, I have watched a playthrough of someone doing that where one of their characters just got hit by a car crossing a road. It's like, nope, you don't get to play as them anymore. Fair enough. They, they did a better job with it in Detroit. But... They did from what I saw, but I, I I personally found Detroit so dull. I couldn't finish it. I couldn't get through it. I know, I know. I couldn't get through I couldn't get through the second chapter. I hate that I love it. Oh, I mean, I, I don't blame anyone for... You know... Quantic Dream keeps making games for a reason. You know, people yeah. do like them. I certainly know that there are people who like them because they don't let me forget that they like them. If if we haven't sold you on that uh, until dawn, by the way, uh, Rami Malek is very good in it. Mm. Oh, he's, he's, he's so good. If you like Bohemian Rhapsody, then try it out because he, he's very good in it. If if you want a good, a good horror movie that has Rami Malek and the cheerleader from Heroes... This is the thing for you. And the girl from the um, the show about the country music that I can't remember. <laughs> She's oh, the main yeah, one yeah, in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of my personal favourite actors is in it, Pete Stormare. Oh, yeah. Let us not forget, Pete bloody Stormare is in it. Yes, please. Yeah. One of the best on-screen Satans in that Constantine film. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for, for, for more of this because, like, as I understand it, the, the, the idea for what they're trying to do with, um, oh, what's that thing called? The Dark Pictures Anthology is basically to have, like, shorter games in this series every, like, six months or so. And I'm super okay with that. I'm, I'm very up for just every few months. Here's a fun horror movie to choose your way through. Mm-hmm. I watched through a, a series on Netflix called Slasher, mm. um, which is sort of American horror story, but serial killers instead. And it's it's incredibly yeah. queer. Like every season gets gayer and I love it. Um, and and I, I'm fairly certain queer people have worked on it. And I think I've talked about Slasher before on this podcast, but I bring it up again now because season two 
has to have been inspired by Until Dawn. Yeah. So much that happens in it seems like it was taken from Until Dawn. Um, and, and it's got that tone. That all three seasons have sort of a tone that makes me think of um, video games almost, sort of adventure video games. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a bit trashy and, and, and you know, two-dimensional, but I found it kind of charming for that. But yeah, yeah, um, it's an anthology, so you can watch pretty much all of them in any order you want. But season two is the best one, and mm. I would be shocked if no one who worked on that hadn't played and loved <laughs> Until Dawn. Yeah, I'm excited to see ghost ship spookiness, because I, I, mm. I, I enjoy all the stuff. I've enjoyed everything of theirs that I've seen so far. Until Dawn was good. It very much was. Uh, what about you, Gav? What have you been playing this week? I played an anime game. Oh. You played an anime game? I am shocked. Yeah, well, I don't know if it counts as an anime, but uh, Blo- I played Bloodstained, that one you two were, oh. were ranting and raving about. I Here's the thing. We have a topic list. And I, I saw blood underneath Gavin, and I assumed you'd been replaying Bloodborne. Bloodborne, no. <laughs> I, I assumed you'd replayed Bloodborne. I'm sorry. Oh, you played Bloodstained. Heck, how are you getting on with it? So Bloodstained, yeah, that was one of my. That's basically my game of the year so far. But I'm very curious as to what you thought, Gav. Well, it was your video that uh, got me interested in it because I was watching how much praise you were heaping on it, but also the visual style really, really appealed to me. Like. Uh, the very high contrast, very deep d- colours. I'm glad it's not just me. They, the the art style's been very divisive, but I love it. I, I really like it too. Oh, I really like it. I mean, I'm not I'm not really big into anime aesthetics, but like the environments and stuff are, are, are gorgeous in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I tried it. It's good. It's a good game. It's uh, like with every 2D platformer, I have huge issues with difficulty with it because I'm very bad at space (laughs) and getting myself into the places I need to be at the right times and things like that. I'm just really, really, I've been bad at it since I was a kid. I'm just accepting that I'll never be good. But I like that this one lets you go away and grind if you, if you're having trouble and kind of uh, level up and get, get, get more powerful and stuff. Uh, Oh yeah. I mean, this, this keeps to the sort of latter-day Castlevania tradition of if you put in some work and you know where to look, you can get embarrassingly overpowered. You can afford to suck a bit. As I said last time, like, I'm at the point where I'm painting whole rooms dead with my little beam of killing things. Well, I'm glad to hear you can get to that point because I'm certainly... Like, I've fought two bosses so far and I, I found... They're, they're fine, but it's when... There was one boss, it was actually the first boss even annoyed me because there was a bit where she's firing out blobs and then there's enemies in the blobs and then there's a tentacle that's whipping you that comes in from the background and I just can't deal with that much stuff at once (laughs) I'm so bad at multitasking so like anytime I come into the room and there's an archer and a knight and a fucking flower on the floor (laughs) and there's projectiles coming at me from one enemy and there's another bloody thing flying above me that's when i i have real problems and i don't i I, but but i like that i can just go away and kill loads of easy enemies and then i can take the hits yeah yeah it's one of those things that worst case scenario you treat it maybe a little like a blood a dark souls or something in that you keep your distance try and recognize patterns like it, it is at its core that same sort of sort of loop of just recognize what attack is coming and how to dodge it and you'll get there eventually and recognize boss doors yes that was that was a mistake i learned very early on that like if you've been playing for 10 15 minutes without saving don't go through a boss door (laughs) yeah this is one thing you learn from from the sort of the metroidvania era castlevanias is the boss doors are clearly marked and there's almost always a save point right nearby like really nearby right before if you see a boss door like the first thing you do is look for the save room first but uh, yeah, I'm enjoying this a lot. It's a really, really good game. It's good I, to hear. I, I, I adore the environments. They are so beautiful. Oh. It's like, this is one of the best looking games I've ever seen, like in the environments. Like I said, I could do without the kind of anime schoolgirl 
kind of aesthetic thing, but like, yeah, it's not it's not off putting to me to the point where I'm like, oh fuck this, you know. There's an area called the Hall of Termination, which is like just this resplendent gilded area. It's absolutely beautiful. Even the rooms where, well, I've only found one, but I presume it's a fast travel point. Yeah, they're marked in green on the map, and there's like a big multicolored. Uh, window i presume that's a fast travel point but i couldn't go anywhere yet from it but yeah yeah it's gorgeous uh, and in and every um every kind of level feels very different like yeah from the even in the f- few hours i played i've gone from uh, a blue and brown ship into like a red kind of hellfire infested village down into a a greenish blue cave with water and then into the castle and it's it's kept up the variety it does a really good job of visually telling you at a glance this is where you are in the game oh yeah i like it you two were not kidding this is a very good game and for 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 me to enjoy a 2d platformer takes a lot yeah I think this is one of those rare games that is just that good that it's winning over people whom it may not be their genre of choice normally. Yeah, absolutely. And I I wish it all the success because it's it's so good to play a game like this again. Plus, it's not old school platformer difficult either, which is you know nice no. for us out there who suck at video games. Unlike some of the fuckers who have been uploading courses in Super Mario Maker Two. <laughs> I Which I forgot that. to put on the list before we recorded that I have played some of that. Actually, I saw um, someone was saying, does anyone actually just make fun levels in these? Like, just normal fun levels. I want a section, an entire section that is just people who have made good levels. Just just good, yeah. not trying to be clever, not trying to show off, not trying to be super difficult, just just some classic feeling. I think there's a tag that that has some says something like that but i really want just a dedicated section or a, a hand-picked highlight selection of things that just feel like ruddy bloody good levels that people have made because yeah. it's either r- ridiculously it's like either those self-playing levels mm. or ones that just frustrate the piss out of me yeah so i i have a little bit of hope in me that we might see more of that this time around because a there is a there's a single player mode that has a bunch of Nintendo made levels using those wacky mechanics, but like Nintendo made them so they're not so exaggerated. But there there is also some like really just genuinely good game development like advice in that game, like not about how to make like stupid over the top silly levels, but just like no here's here's the philosophy of how Nintendo thinks about making a, a Mario level. Try making levels like this. I have hope. Maybe we'll see some of those. It'd be nice. I think it's great that they're there. Like, it's good that people are trying to make levels as hard as possible to fuck with each other. And I do enjoy much. I used to, with the old Mario Maker, I used to enjoy tuning in every now and then to Patrick Klepek, who would livestream some of them, and some of the, the torments he'd put himself through. I'm glad they're there. Yeah. I just want this special section called the Jim Sterling section. Which is just classic feeling levels that have been designed just to be really cool. If someone wants to co- like collate a big list of just feels like a new classic Mario level that's not too gimmicky and just feels like a good Mario level, send a list. I will totally like give them a look and pass pass them on to to, to everyone because that's the thing I would appreciate. Yeah, I think that'd be a good article somewhere, just like a collection of of. Th- the best Mario levels that feel like Mario levels. Yeah, I, I always wish that with mods as well. Like if if in the sites, I wish they would organize them into like, these are the mods that are kind of stay with the lore and stuff. They won't pull you out. Let's keep these aside from the Macho Man Randy Savage dragons. <laughs> you know? Oh, nothing is more immersive. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of Nintendo, uh, Laura... You did a very good article this week about Breath of the Wild. I liked it. Oh, so I went, I, I went back and replayed Breath of the Wild recently. And my big takeaway that like I keep mulling over, particularly considering we've got a sequel coming, is basically the fact that that game uses exploration and the things you discover as your reward, which is great for a first playthrough. Like, this is probably the most I've enjoyed a first playthrough of a Zelda game in a very long time. Mm. But I had no real desire to replay it through because without the structure of traditional dungeons of a narrative that's happening in real time as opposed to flashbacks, all of that reward of like discovery and finding new things, it 
that the, the the reward is not there anymore. It's it's redoing a thing you already did as opposed to discovering a bunch of new things. And yeah. it's why I'm like kind of tentatively excited and nervous about a direct sequel to Breath of the Wild is, you know, that if they go through that open world and put a bunch of new stuff in so that I can revisit that same map and have that same sense of discoverability and excitement again, that's great. But will that be enough to not have it just feel like a retread? I don't know. Um, but yeah, thank you, thank you for for thinking that was all right, Gav. Yeah, I liked it because I, I I I restarted that game recently, and funny enough, I felt the same way you did. But uh, you're gonna laugh at this. A lot of the annoyances I had with my first playthrough, I don't know if I just made peace with them, and I just said, look, I'm just gonna have to accept I have fuck all stamina. I can't climb for long. Yeah. Until eighty eighty hours later, <laughs> you well, know. <laughs> I I. I, I did stick with my playthrough, like, I've tried replaying this game a few times through and I never get super far, but I I know enough to, to know, like, these are the things I should prioritise early on to make my experience more enjoyable, yeah. these are the things to avoid, like, I, I definitely know how to navigate that world in a less annoying way. Exactly, yeah. The jumping wind power. <laughs> yeah, oh god, yeah. If I had known about that, it would have been the first thing I did. If you go get that first... The rain stopping you climbing is far less of an issue. Yeah. But, I, yeah, once you've explored all of the map and you know what the things are to find, it really does lose some of its luster, which is not, not a, a, a ding on the game. I still think it is an amazing game that I fucking loved, but I just have less desire to replay it than other Zeldas. That, that, that mentioning that actually always, uh, the, uh, the thing you have to find to overcome the annoying shit. That always brings me back to the Wind Waker, in which in order mm. to unlock the, uh, in order to make the traveling far less of a pain in the ass, you had to randomly come across that thing in the storm and use the incredibly finicky shooting mechanics to fire an arrow into it. And if you missed, you had to wait till you randomly found it again. And it was yeah. just, ugh. Yeah. Zelda's uh. always had those little, uh, little huge annoyances in it. <laughs> That's totally fair. But yeah, if anyone wants to read that article, lauracabuzz.com. Go read it and then go support me on patreon.com forward slash lauracabuzz because I could do with some people supporting me over there. That that would be helpful. Huzzah. Link, Link to the Past didn't have that though because that's literally a perfect game. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I want that on the Switch. Yeah, same. There's a lot of games I want on the Switch still. I want that on the Switch. I want everything on the Switch. Give me a nice double pack of Link to the Past and uh, A Link Between Worlds. Give me a double pack Ooh. on the Switch. I'd love to play Link. My stupid DS, I lost the, con the charger for it so I can't finish Link Between Worlds. I love how that's the DS's fault. My stupid DS. I lost the charger. Fuck it. Stupid DS. Well, I had to buy. I had to buy an entire goddamn console just for one game because I wanted to play one game. If, if it would help, I do have a spare 3DS charger I could send to you. No, no, you're fine. Is it not a wedding gift? I'm sure it'll come out on the Switch because, like, yeah. every single game in history seems to be coming out on the Switch now. So. I would definitely replay it if it came to Switch. To bring all of the games to Switch. More Switch games, more! I think you two, I think you two would play Duke Nukem Forever if it came to Switch. Oh. Probably. <laughs> I think that's how much you two love that console. <laughs> that's not fair. It wasn't that bad. I'm still wanting my Deadly Premonition on Switch. That's the one I'm pushing for more than anything else. Is that the good David Cage game? No, oh, that's Deadly Premonition. That's uh, Sweary65. That's the masterpiece. I might bother them on Twitter again. Every now and then I bother them on Twitter about... Uh, what else did he make again? He did... Um, uh, the Missing. The Missing, D4, Dark Dreams Don't Die, the, the That Connect game. He's doing one now called The Good Life. That one about a, a village where everyone transforms into cats. He makes weird shit and it's great. It was the one with the coffee, you know, FK and the coffee. And, yes, yes. And the music that goes... Do, 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 do. Anyway... Anyway, I want that on Switch. Where the hell is it? I'll, I'll, I'll instigate a letter-writing campaign with real paper as well. <gasps> have, have any of us got any other things we want to we wanna get rattled off before we finish today? I think I'm good. I want to know, is Judgment uh, as good as Yakuza? Because I've been thinking about playing it. Yes. Uh, first chapter, you will think no. But literally the moment it's over... It is full on everything I love about Yakuza. So yes, I, I, I do recommend that. 
I rate it. I rate that. Nice. Sweet. Alrighty, well. I think we're done then. Huzzah. Yes, Laura, where can people get to know all of the things you have done on the internet, please? Me and my things. Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere. Laura K. Buzz on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. LauraKBuzz.com. That's where links to all of the stuff that I work on goes. I am doing a doing a bunch of shit at the moment. My book's coming out in like two weeks. Uncomfortable labels. That's a thing you can you can get in various places. Things I learned from Mario's butt. That's coming out at the end of the summer, hopefully. Uh, maybe check out the podcast that I've been doing. Laura K Buzz will be on my brother, my brother and me because this week there will be quite a cool interview on that 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 is worth listening to. And Total Whiplash, it's an interview podcast I do where I ask alternating serious and silly questions for half an hour. Um, I think that's about it at the moment. What about you, Gav? Sorry, I was just, my goddamn Patreon Discord, there, for some reason, someone in there is discussing what I would look like in a mankini. (laughs) (laughs) Stop it. You know who you are. Stop misbehaving. (laughs) Behave yourself. You can find my work on YouTube. You can find my brand new song, which was inspired by Bloodborne, which is doing really, really, really well. I'm delighted with the response to it. And I got in my buddy Aviators to sing on it with me. And he's really cool as well. And uh, it's been a big hit, which is nice because I've had like three big hits this now, but this year between that and the Sekiro song and the Devil May Cry one. So it just goes to show that slowing down and uh, taking your time can sometimes be a good thing and good for the work itself. So go find my Bloodborne song. It's called A Thousand Eyes. Uh, It's on my YouTube. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. It's on all those places. You can follow me on Twitter at Miracle of Sound. And you can find me on Patreon as well at Under Miracle of Sound if you want to help keep me in a job and talking shit every Wednesday. Well, Tuesday. Well, Thursday for the listeners, isn't it? Yes. Yes, indeed. Time time is weird. Sorry, that was a weird self-plug. I was just so distracted by the mankini thing. Oh, no problem. No, Uh, that's all right. Yep. I've always had problems with self-plugging in a mankini as well. You two have always been more comfortable with that kind of stuff from fans than than I am. Um, So you'll know, we we talked earlier about the Jimquisition episode. Uh, Again, do check it out if you haven't done yet. It's uh, certainly the most important video I think I've done in my, um, certainly in the Jimquisition's history. Uh, Also, uh, on Monday, Simon Miller put out a podcast which we recorded together where we talked about WWE, AEW, uh, various things like um, uh, Bray Wyatt and, and Seth and Becky and just all sorts of wrestling stuff. It's always fun when we record together. Uh, that's on his channel, Simon Miller. Um, both of us having come from games media into the wrestling business gives us a, a fun rapport, I think. And at some point we will have to meet in, in the actual wrestling ring. But uh, until then... It's a nice little podcast. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, I'll just plug one more time. The the My return to the wrestling business is July 13th in Collins, Mississippi. And from there, there will be all sorts of interesting things. Um, actually, July 19th as well is now being confirmed for Pro South Wrestling in Piedmont, Alabama. So go check that out. And I'll be doing something in Pittsburgh um, not too long after then. So... There you go. That's all the stuff. Uh, All that remains to be said is thank you so much for continuing to listen, to share, to support the work we do here. Thank you so much to my lovely patrons. Uh, Thank you to everyone who responded and and shared things and helped with the Jimquisition. To H-Bomber Guy and Case Explosion as well for their help on this week's Jimquisition. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.